Our reading today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Uh, in our Alpha course this time around, we started our first meeting on Zoom where we could get to know each other and uh, just figure out who's who as we begin to discuss Christianity and the claims of Jesus. And half of the group are guests who are not yet followers of Jesus or are in some way, shape, or form trying to explore what they believe about him. And the other half of the group are, are people like me who have invited friends to join us. And our group leader asked the question, kind of as an icebreaker question, but it's a big question. He said, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Now, it is a great icebreaker question when you're talking about the Christian faith, but it's also like an all-encompassing big question that we need to wrestle with in our lives. Jesus himself asked a lot of questions while he was teaching. And one of the questions that he asked his disciples was, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? We see it recorded in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel. He asks the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, the way that we answer this question about who Jesus is, it defines us. Jesus' question, who do you say I am? That, that question, the answer to that question defines who we are and what we believe to be true and the assurances that we have as we follow Jesus. The text from 1 John today is getting to the heart of some of this and the implications of what happens when we shift our answer to something other than you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to tell you right now, this passage of scripture is going to make some of you really uncomfortable in ways that I think you need to be made really uncomfortable. We're talking about antichrists, heresy, and the assurance that we have that we're walking in the truth of Jesus. And we're going to look at it like this. This is the outline for you. Okay, us and them, truth and lies, and word and and spirit. Us and them, truth and lies, word and spirit. 
us and them. Let's look at the text again as we move into 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. All right, the Antichrist. Here we go. Hey, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going to reveal the identity of the Antichrist in my sermon today. It's a kind of a weird fascination that some people in certain church traditions have of trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And through the years, you've probably heard people say things like the Antichrist was Caesar or the Antichrist, you know, Stalin was the Antichrist or Hitler was the Antichrist or the Roman Catholic Pope was the Antichrist or some president was the Antichrist. I think every president over the last hundred years has been labeled the Antichrist in the United States of America, usually by those who did not vote for him. Somewhere along the line, we got fascinated with the idea of the Antichrist. Okay, and I just want to tell you, first of all, that's weird. Okay, second of all, what's in this text is way worse than that. It's, it's way worse than that, in my opinion. Look at verse 18 again. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, John wrote this letter to these churches or this church at the end of the first century. And when he says the last hour, he's just talking about the time between Jesus' incarnation and life and death and resurrection and his eventual return in glory. That's what he's talking about. So the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection starts something where we are now in the last hour and that last hour remains until Jesus returns. So we live in the last hour. Don't get hung up on that. We're still in the last hour. But while I know many of you have heard that we're supposed to expect this sort of giant evil antichrist figure that's supposed to enter into history at some point who's going to come and wreak havoc on the world, John is saying something different. He's saying many antichrists have come. In fact, the reality that many antichrists have come is why he's writing this letter to these churches that he's in relationship with. John basically defines Antichrist for us with three passages in 1 John and 2 John that tell us what he's thinking. I just want to show them to you so we're on the same page. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4 verse 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 2 John 7 for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, so whatever you want to make of the antichrists that he's talking about, they are people who teach a distorted view of Jesus, who deny that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and that they deny that he was both fully human and fully God. And John says, many antichrists have come. 
Okay? They're preaching a false message about Jesus in some way, shape, or form that ends up pitting them in opposition to Jesus and Jesus' people. They might say that they are Christians and they might say nice spiritual things and they might be lovely people, but he's saying they're literally against Christ. See, when we talk about the Antichrist, we, we, we think of Revelation 13 and the beast that's going to come and we think this is going to be this big, no, the Antichrist. They're like, like little old grannies who believe bad things about Jesus. That's why we need to pay attention here. Many antichrists have already come. People who are teaching contra or against the Jesus we see in the Bible. Verse 19 of 1 John chapter 2 says, They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Listen, us and them is not a very popular way of speaking about people in 2021 in the city of Vancouver. I know that. But John needs his churches here, his folks that he is in relationship with. He needs them to know that he does not stand for the deviation of the Antichrist teaching about Jesus. He wants to offer some pastoral assurance to this church or these churches, to to those who are left after the false teaching Antichrist people have departed the congregation. Those who remain, he's trying to give them some assurance in the gospel. He wants them to know that they are walking in the truth of Jesus, who is their good shepherd, and that their good shepherd does not tolerate Antichrist wolves who are there to destroy the flock. That's what he's saying. John is a good pastor. Good pastors don't feed the wolves. They feed the sheep. And when the wolves come in, they address it. If they're really sheep who have lost their way, they will come to repentance. If they were never sheep and they were only wolves, you move them on. Douglas Wilson said, kindness to wolves is hostility to sheep. John's saying even more than that. He says, they went out from us, but they're not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Okay, the point is not to beat the antichrist false teachers over the head. That's not what he's doing. The point is to make sure that he is loving those who remain. Okay, imagine if there was a faction of Christ City who got into some weird heresy about Jesus, some weird false teaching about Jesus, and they left the church. Imagine that happened. God forbid, but imagine it happened. I would want to be very clear with all of you who remain that this was error. And the teaching of the Antichrist spirit, of the beliefs of those who left Christ City in their Errors, I would want to be very clear about what that looks like. I would want to draw a clear line of delineation between us and them. But mostly, I would want to reassure you who remained in the truth of the gospel of Jesus that you have a strong ground or foundation to stand upon in your life of faith as you pursue him. Right? That you're holding on to what we have always believed to be true about Jesus. I had a conversation like this this week. 
It's about a church in our denomination who are on the way out. My concern is not for the church who has walked off the pages of Scripture into error and is leaving our denomination. My concern is for those who remain, that the pastors and congregations who remain know that they are standing upon the right foundation. Someone said to me, can you believe that they're leaving? And I said, yeah, I'm not surprised. They've been flirting with this error for years. This is just the culmination of their error and the exposure of their true beliefs. Like John said, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And you say, man, neither you or John sound very loving. I say, au contraire. Karen Jobes said, love does not mean getting along with everyone regardless of what they believe in an exercise of tolerance that ignores truth. Love does not trump truth, but insists that there is a truth apart from which people will perish, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, unfortunately, we live in the real world where brokenness and sin abound and saying you believe in Jesus means that there is an us and a them. John's not saying if you disagree with me, you're out. He's not saying that. John is saying if you reject the nature of Jesus and the truth revealed by Jesus and you don't embrace who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus commands, you're just revealing what has been true of you all along. You've got no fellowship with God and you've got no fellowship with us. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you have to go if you don't believe exactly the same as us. He's saying because you do not believe the truth about Jesus, you will leave. That's what he's telling them. See, Jesus' question of who do you say I am defines who we are. The way we answer the question of Jesus, when he says, who do you say I am, that defines who we are. It defines what we believe and what assurances we have as we follow Jesus. So hear me, Christ City, the the first point here of us and them that John is talking about is actually brought to focus by my second point, truth and lies. There's us and them and then truth and lies. See, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? We have an answer in, in Matthew chapter 16. We have an answer in Mark chapter 8. We have an answer in Luke chapter 9. Um, But the question is not explicit in the gospel that John wrote. John, who was writing this letter to the churches in 1 John, we call it, he wrote a gospel called the Gospel of John. Instead of this explicit question in the Gospel of John, though, we have this overarching purpose statement about the entirety of the Gospel of John and why he wrote it. It says in John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now when Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says that these, what he has written to the church, Jesus 
works and the things that he did, the signs that he did in the presence of his disciples, John says he wrote them down in a gospel. They are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Okay, and the church that he's writing to here, the churches that he's writing to here in 1 John, they would have been familiar with his gospel. They would have been familiar with his gospel. And in a sense, the whole of John's gospel is answering this exact question of who do you say I am that Jesus asks, but it's actually answering that question from the aspect of listening to who Jesus says he is. John wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Those two things are deeply connected. If you want the new eternal life that is offered in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the the life everlasting, if you want that, you receive it by believing in who Jesus reveals himself to be. So what happens when you exchange that truth about Jesus for a lie? Well, you get an us and them. We have to look at the truth and the lies. Verse 20 in our text in 1 John chapter 2 says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, when he says you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge, okay, when he says that, we're going to come back to that in, in a moment, but it's John's way of saying you've received the Holy Spirit. That when you believed, you received the Holy Spirit and you're in the know about the person and work of Jesus. He says, I'm writing this to you not because you lack the truth in any way, but because you know the truth. And you know that there's a pervasive lie about Jesus being told here. Okay, and here it is, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, John says. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay, in between the the us and the them camps that John is helping us to see here, the them team, those who have left and departed, they have believed some lie about Jesus that denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That's so key for us to see. And John is saying, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you don't have any relationship with the Father. Right? So who's the liar? Who's believing the lie? Those who in some way deny that Jesus is who he says he is. They are denying Jesus' incarnation, that he is God in flesh. They are denying Jesus' atoning work in our place. They are denying Jesus' full humanity and full divinity. They're denying Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. They're denying that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. They are denying the need for Jesus and saying they can have a relationship with God and some kind of vague general spirituality without Jesus. That's what's going on. And John says the truth is they believe the lie and they're not of us. John 14, 6, hear the words of Jesus. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the lie they believed is that they could have a life with God apart from Jesus. And Jesus says that can't happen. No one comes to the Father but through me. And John calls them antichrists. John says, don't be misled by those who claim to have the Spirit of God, but who are actually deceived in denying Jesus. He says, they went out from us and are not of us. He says, they are in the darkness, not in the light. He says, they are not with God, but they are apart from God. He says, they do not have the promise of eternal life. John is saying that they are heretics. There you have it. We have used the word antichrist and heretic in the same sermon on the same Sunday. You're welcome. Hey, Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Our answer defines who we are, and it defines what is true for us and about us in Christ. And it helps us to see the assurances that we have as we follow Jesus. We can't mess around with this. There's a reason that John is using such strong language when he comes against false teaching about Jesus. Us and them Truth and lies. But third, let's talk about word and spirit. Word and spirit. This is the dual assurance for those who follow Jesus. Okay, these antichrists have come out from within the congregation. John says, he says they were never truly part of the church, but nevertheless they have come from within the church. Hey, this heresy about Jesus has come from within the congregation. Again, put forward by those who are teaching and spreading a lie, but nevertheless, from within. And, and, and you might ask the question, well, what are we supposed to do in light of this? It's the right question. That's why John wrote the letter. Okay, I think that this passage we're looking at here is the reason or the occasion for the letter being written in the first place. Look at verses 24 through 27 with me. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And the first thing I want you to see about these four verses that I think is so important is every instance of the word you in this text is plural. Don't read this like normal 21st century Western individualists who have a nice copy of your own Bible, leather-bound, big type set because, you know, you're starting to lose your reading sight. No, don't read it like that. Read it as the community of Jesus' people like John intended it to be read. 1 John 2, verse 24, listen to it again. Let what you all heard from the beginning abide in you all. If what you all heard from the beginning abides in you all, then you all too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, to us, eternal life. Okay, what did they hear in the beginning? 
What did they as a community here in the beginning? What has knit them together and bound them together and been at the center of their community since the beginning? What is in the beginning for them? The apostolic gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard that Jesus Christ is the revelation of God and they heard God's plan of salvation wherein Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and as was promised from all over the Old Testament, that he lived a perfectly sinless life as the perfect God-man, fully man, fully God, that he died the atoning death that we deserve to die, that he would cancel and remove from us by paying for them our sins, that they are removed from us and the wrath of God is lifted from our shoulders because of the work of Christ in our place, that he died the death that we deserve to die and welcome us into relationship with God because he is raised from the dead where he has overcome Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave and he has made a way for us to enter into eternal life. This is the apostolic gospel. This is what we know they heard in the beginning. And what does he say? Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Hang on to it. This is what they had in the beginning and 2,000 years later, it is what we have in the moment. What do you do with all the antichrist heresy in the world? I'll tell you right now, stay grounded in the historic apostolic gospel found in the scriptures. Don't deviate from it. We need to be people of God's word. This is how we know that we've received God's promise of eternal life. Right? Eternal life is only assured for those who hold to the apostolic gospel. The New Testament is very clear about this. Verse 26 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Okay, John is not saying, look, you don't need to be taught. You're good on your own. That's, that's not what he means. He's writing a letter to teach them. What he's saying is, and what he's really doing is invalidating the claim of the false teachers that they need to be taught something new. He's saying, you don't need to be taught anything new. You need to abide in what you heard from the beginning. He's saying, you don't need to be taught something new. No, no way. We don't need new teaching for the itchy ears of our generation. We need to hold the apostolic teaching of the New Testament. That's what John's saying. He's telling us, and we need to hear this from him, that we need to hold on to the truth of the gospel. It's the anointing that you received, it says. What what is he talking about? What does it mean? It's the same as we saw in verse 20 earlier. But you've been anointed by the Holy One. That is, you believed the truth about Jesus, you hung on to that which you first received, and you were folded into the church of Jesus Christ, and you received the Holy Spirit. The way this is addressed to the whole church as a community and in my mind to all Christians as the bigger community tells me something important about the us and the them and the truth and the lie. It tells me that we are a community of word and spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is a community of word and spirit. Okay, You've got to remember the context that this letter is coming from. These people are rattled because a bunch of their friends started teaching weird things about Jesus and eventually left their congregation to go off and do their own thing. 
They are rattled by the antichrist heresy in the church and they're looking for some reassurance that they are abiding or remaining in the truth of the gospel, the true gospel of the true Jesus and they're part of the true church and John doesn't write to them and go, listen to me, I'm an apostle, just shut up and listen for a moment. It's not what he says. It's not the comfort that he gives them. What does he say? He says, you have the word that you received in the beginning and you have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. This is the assurance that you are walking in the truth. You have received his word and you've received the spirit. You are a word and spirit church and together you will abide in that truth until the end of the age. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit that is so comforting to me. He only teaches that which aligns with God's word, which is the revelation of the truth of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Howard Marshall said the antidote to false teaching is the inward reception of the word of God administered and confirmed by the work of the spirit. Right? John is saying to them, you have the objective truth of God's written word and you have the Holy Spirit, the same as I as an apostle have the Holy Spirit. John says, I'm telling you, trust him. That's the anointing you received. You receive the spirit when you believe. Trust him. He'll lead you into, as it says in John 14 and John 16, all truth. He will remind you of all things that Jesus taught. See, the question of who do you say I am, it really defines us. The way we answer that question defines us. Us and them. And I know that sounds harsh and I know that sounds terrible, but I'm actually telling you it's a beautiful invitation. It's a beautiful invitation to abide in the truth of Jesus in his word and by his spirit. When Jesus says, who do you say I am? Our answer to that question tells us what we believe to be true. It's the truth and the lie. We need to hold to the truth. And when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And we answer, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That gives us the assurance that we can walk out our days persevering in our faith and stay faithful to him because we are word and spirit people. See, the assurance that you're walking with Jesus comes from dwelling not just as a word and spirit person, but in a word and spirit community where we hold one another accountable to the teaching that we've received over the generations and that the same spirit that's in me is in you. And that God's Holy Spirit is leading us into all truth. It's a great comfort for us as we consider big words like antichrist and heresy. And as we consider how to be faithful as Jesus' people in this city and beyond for generations to come. If you're with your house church, we're going to get ready to celebrate communion. It's one of the things that we do to abide in the truth. We come back week after week to the reality that Jesus Christ was crucified that he died in our place, that the bread we take points us to the broken body of Jesus whose body was nailed to a cross as he was crucified, as he dies in our place and for our sin, his body was broken, so we take the bread. And the cup, the wine or the juice, points us to the beautiful reality that Christ's love so transcends every other idea in the universe that he 
died in our place. The Father sent the Son to atone for our sin. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we take the bread and the wine of communion, we are celebrating that Jesus' work in our place is sufficient for everything we will ever need to be saved. This is the truth that we hold on to, that we first received and that we continue to perpetuate in our families, in our households, with our roommates, in our workplaces, in our church, in our community. We also know in a beautiful way that God's Holy Spirit abides with us in the celebration of communion. And so we do so in the power of the Spirit. So today, as you pray and you take the bread, remember that the Father sent the Son to die in our place, that his blood was shed. We take the wine. But remember that Jesus ascended on high and poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. It's the anointing of the Holy One this text is talking about, and that by the Spirit, Christ is present with us in power as we celebrate what he has done on our behalf. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this this is not for you. Boy, this is a wild sermon if you're not a follower of Jesus. I'd love to invite you to come to Jesus. I would love you to come and step into the light that is Christ. To step into the truth that is Jesus. And to understand God's love for you. It's not a temporal love, it's an eternal love. And he's inviting you to come to him today. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, email me, brett at christcitychurch.ca. I'd love to talk with you about this, point you to Jesus, and help you understand how to walk with him. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we can behold the truth of the full beauty of the gospel of Jesus in communion right now, but we can take hold of the truth that you've given us in your word. We can understand the way that you, by your spirit, apply that truth to our hearts. And we can just live in light of it. We have great confidence because we have your written word and we have your Holy Spirit applying that written word to our lives. We get to walk in the truth of who you are. Oh God, I pray you'd help us to be faithful. Help us to be gracious and full of love. Not compromising, but not walking in error. Just just following you all the days of our life. I pray that we would all worship you every day in the fullness of who you are because we know that ultimately that is for our good. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.